This morning's scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 to 29. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Metro Presbyterian Church. I want to wish all the mothers a very warm, happy Mother's Day. Uh, we hope we are, uh, that you have a good day. We're incredibly thankful for uh, just your presence here. I know personally I'm incredibly blessed by the mothers here. Um, always encouraged by your faith in the Lord and uh, your uh, faith uh, to the community. Um, hoping that's a good day for you guys. May it be of uh, joy, embrace, and uh, well-behaved children Right, so I hope it's a good day. We, we, we celebrate you guys. Um, as we uh, dive into the Word uh, this morning, uh, we're going through a new sermon series entitled uh, Real Faith in the Real World. 
we're exploring through the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel, it centers around the life of Daniel uh, during a time when uh, God's people uh, were separated from their homeland. Uh, Daniel, uh, he's a member of the cultural elite of Israel, and he's now living among a, a people group who were uh, hostile to uh, the God Yahweh, the, the biblical God. And as a result, the book is going to help us answer the question, uh, what does it mean to live a life of faith in the biblical God in a world that is dominated by people who are against him? Today, this book is going to provide a message about gospel-centered character, service, hope for believers, and hope for the world. As we dive into this task, I'm going to ask that y'all join me in prayer. Uh, Lord God, we uh, thank you this morning. Um, We are humbled and honored to be in the midst of your presence. And Lord God, we ask of you right now, Lord God, that you would speak. Uh, Lord God, you know uh, where I am. You know my anxieties. You know my flaws. You know my weaknesses. You know my brokenness. And God, what I ask, Lord, is that you will use me, Lord God, accordingly to not my will but yours. Use me accordingly to your strength. And God, I pray at this time, Lord God, that you would speak. Uh, Lord, um, Father, uh, be with the people. May this room be filled with the Holy Ghost, Lord God, so we can hear you clearly. Lord God, and as we celebrate uh, the mothers, Lord God, we Let's be reminded that we can celebrate, Lord God, for we have hope and resurrection life in you this morning. You are our hope and joy. We love you. We honor you. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, in 1974, what is considered to arguably be the greatest sporting event of the 20th century, known as Rumble in the Jungle pitted the undefeated world heavyweight champion George Foreman against challenger and former champion Cassius Clay, also known as Muhammad Ali. Foreman at the time was deemed the most strongest, fiercest, and fearless champion of the decade. Muhammad Ali, on the other hand, Uh, He was now the most iconic athlete in our history today uh, due to his uh, uh, political stance, due to his charisma, due to his greatness in the ring, was now to be at the end of his career. And as iconic as Muhammad Ali was in this bout, in the rumble, in the jungle, he was actually the underdog. In fact, uh, many reporters and many news uh, scholars at the time, not scholars, excuse me, but news reporters, uh, said that there were genuine fears of uh, Muhammad Ali's safety, as George Foreman was considered to be the hardest hitter of all time. And many were afraid that Muhammad Ali, at the age of 32, wouldn't be floating like a butterfly from a George Foreman uppercut. So Ali, he knew this. So as we approached the fight and as the bell rang on October 30th, uh, Muhammad Ali would unveil his 
and months of training against Foreman, and it was known as the rope-a-dope tactic. In summary, the rope-a-dope tactic was of two things. Uh, it really just consisted of uh, Muhammad Ali using the ropes kind of as a support leverage for George Foreman's punches. And number two, uh, as he would uh, kind of use his rope-a-dope tactic, he would kind of clinch George Foreman. And what the clinching would do is it would kind of make George Foreman more tired because rather than throwing punches at Muhammad Ali, he would have to kind of use his, his energy to untangle him. See, Ali, at the time during this fight, he bore some serious pain, punch after punch after punch. But after round after round after round, Foreman couldn't keep hitting for long. Foreman's stamina went into untangling himself from all the holding. All the punches that he kept on throwing were getting weaker and weaker. And as Foreman began to struggle to defend himself, Ali now had opportunity. So Ali came out of the ropes. He started swinging, punch after punch, a left and a right. That would get George Foreman spinning towards down the canvas and would be counted out with two seconds left of the eighth round. Against all odds, everyone against him, Ali would become the first heavyweight champion to win the world title three times. See, the iconic Rumble in the Jungle event uh, today reminds me of the gospel-centered life because the gospel-centered life is also an epic boxing match. But it's not what we might assume. The fight isn't us against the world. The fight is not our faith against, against society's values. The opponent is not your co-worker. The opponent is not your friend in worldly values. The real battle, the real fight is against ourselves. The real fight is against our heart's desires. It's against our own flesh. It's against the idols that take us away from what the Westminster Shorter Catechism 1 says, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And when confronting our idols, when fighting against the flesh, it makes us feel like an underdog. Is that not true? It feels like it's a fight we can't win. But just as Ali knew he would defeat George Foreman at the Rumble in the Jungle against all odds, Scripture also, too, teaches us that there is victory over the enemy. Daniel chapter 3, the story of the golden image and the fire, fiery furnace, is a polemic against idolatry. And today we're going to go through four points of today's text. The stronghold, the deliverance, the freedom, and the redemption. 
the strongholds of our idolatry, the deliverance of our idolatry, the freedom of our idolatry, and the redemption of our idolatry. First point is stronghold. Look at verse 14 and 15 with me. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of God I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Now, the book of Daniel, it was during the Babylonian exile. It's where the people of Israel were living in a foreign culture, and it was a culture that was against the God Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. So King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he makes an image of gold, 60 cubits high, which is about 90 feet tall, and it did not represent the God of Israel, Yahweh, but it represented another form of deity. What did he do is with this uh, image propped up, he now summons all of the officials to worship this image. And if one does not, then they would be thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace. So now what do we see? Daniel's friends are in this predicament They can either worship a false god, conform to their idolatry, or face the suffering of the fiery furnace. It's either one or the other. So today is not much different regarding idolatry. Today, an idol is anything that we place of greater worth than God. And it may not be an image of gold, But now we make idols out of our beauty, out of our worth, out of our power, and we devote this grand amount of time and sacrifice to them. Our blood, our sweat, our tears, just for a little taste of those idols. In other words, Our idols have a stronghold over us. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to to demolish strongholds. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that our fight is not a physical fight. It rather is a spiritual one. You're not combating just images, but rather the idolatry that goes beyond a physical image. Your idolatry is not a five-series BMW. You're not fighting the image of a condo in Rittenhouse Square. That's the image that caters to your idolatry of wealth and power. Your idolatry is not your crush that you see every day. It's not even your spouse. Those are just the images that cater to the idolatry of beauty and love. Your idolatry is not a big house in the suburbs, white picket fence, a family of five. 
that's only the image that caters to the idolatry of family and success. See, today, although we no longer have idols made of stone or gold, we do make idols out of beauty, wealth, love, and power. And it's these very idols that have a stronghold over us. We're consumed, we become enslaved, we are left wanting for more whenever we get a remote glimpse of it. So what are our idols is the question today. You know, practically speaking, I think we know it's an idol. It's because of its effects, its strongholds. It's these strongholds that look like two things in particular. A stronghold uh, looks like a compromising of your values, and it looks like it's going outside of ethical boundaries. Right? That's how, for me, I know if I uh, have idolatry issues, I know if I'm either compromising my values for it or if I'm going outside my ethical standings, I know I think I have an idol issue. Yeah, I remember in elementary school, and um, you had that crush, right, of one of your classmates. Right? I remember I did. And I remember, if you remember, in the classroom context of, you know, 20, 30 kids, you know, how they would organize this classroom, right, is by the last name, you know, A to Z, A in the front, Z in the back. Well, I'm a P. My last name's Park. And I know what I would do is when I had a crush on uh, somebody and her last name began with a capital A, uh, what would I do? Uh, even though I knew it was wrong to go up there, I would, go, I would do anything and everything to move up to, to letter A, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I would move all the way up to letter A. It was going against the ethical boundaries, but I did it anyway because I wanted to be next to my crush, yeah, I remember my t- teacher would be like, uh, uh, Mr. Park, you know, yes. I'm like, you are a letter P. Get your way back, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, I would respond, I, you, know, uh, uh, you know, I only have a six box uh, of crayons. She has 12. I need six more. I'm tired of regular blue. Uh, you know, so what I would do is, is in that moment, though, because I wanted to cater my idolatry factor, uh, the filling of my heart, I compromised my values. I went outside of my ethical boundaries. You know you have an idol issue when you do one or the other. Question for us today, church, what are your idols? What kind of stronghold does it have over you? There will always be 90-foot gold images in our society. That will never, ever change. Real faith begins with admitting that the problem is not the image, because now all you're doing is blame-shifting to the image. The problem begins with our heart's desires that get tempted to seek idols because of an image. And just as Daniel's friends did not conform to King Nebuchadnezzar, 
Uh, we too don't have to conform to our idolatry strongholds. That leads us to the second point, the deliverance of our idolatry. Now, as the passage continues, uh, we see that Daniel's friends are holding on to their values. They're not shaken up because of their faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel. Look at verse 17. It says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. Now, I I love this part because it seems like there's this uh, fresh air of of confidence stating that they're going to stand firm against the idolatries, even if it brings them to the fiery furnace. Verse 19 and 20, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. See, when we look at the fiery furnace, it's not just something that's going to burn them. But when we see the seven times that burning, whenever we see seven, the number seven in scripture, it means completeness, it means fullness. So when we see that it's getting heated seven times, it's representing death. What does that mean for us right now? Fighting idolatry, when you say no to the strongholds of your idols and you're saying, I'm going to go against those things because of what I value in him, Well, that option, too, will not be easy in the sense that it will feel like a fiery furnace. See, what I mean is stopping is not that easy. Uh, Psychologically, you know, uh, doctors say that the main reason is called the uh, chemical dopamine. And uh, both addictive drugs and uh, highly pleasurable experiences, uh, they trigger the release of this brain chemical, dopamine. And what dopamine does when it's released is it creates this reward circuit in the brain. The circuit registers this intense experience as important, and it creates lasting memories of it as pleasurable. See, dopamine, it changes the brain on a cellular level, commanding the brain to do it again, right? So what's happening is how you are wired, you're now unwired, and now you're wired in a different way. So whenever you try to unwire, it's never easy because the brain is actually saying to keep doing it. So when you stop or try to stop or try to combat against your idolatries, it's difficult because you're telling your body no to the thing it wants the most. Scripture tells us, scripture tells us that idols release a dopamine of the soul. So as we seek deliverance from our idolatries, the fiery furnace our bodies will feel, the heat, the fire, the suffering, the brokenness as the flesh craves in uncertainty. Now, one thing I would honestly admit is, um, you know, I have idol factors and I'm so consumed and um, there are things that my body's just wired to. Uh, One thing in particular is uh, coffee. I cannot do without a cup of coffee. I'm completely wired to coffee. Um, And I remember in 2016, it's a brand new year. 
I'm going to make um, all types of promises and commitments about how my life is going to be changed, and I'm going to be a great person, right, and all of that nonsense. So one of my, uh, one of my New Year's resolutions was I'm going to quit drinking coffee. Now, this is probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, if I'm completely honest with you. I remember as soon as I stopped drinking a cup of coffee in the morning, I noticed that it completely disoriented my life, my, my daily way of doing things. I, I, would, I would be cranky. I, I would be bitter. I would be sluggish. I couldn't even concentrate. And I knew I had a problem when it dictated even how I responded to the question of how you're doing. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, at work, you know, people, you know, come up, hey, Brian, how's your day? And with a cup of coffee, it's like, I'm good. God is good. I love Jesus. I love you. I love everyone here. I'm going to reflect Christ in my workflow. God's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but cool, right? <laughs> Whatever. And it was crazy because when I didn't have a cup of coffee, it was like the complete opposite. Brian, how's your day? What is life? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a little too much, brother. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened, but what just happened? Like, my body physically couldn't handle the heat of refraining what my body desired. See, in the same way, when we say no to our idols, Know that it must come with a cost, and it will be a fiery furnace. It will come in the form of suffering. It will come in the form of pain. It will come in the form of brokenness, affliction, a fiery, blazing furnace. But, but, but God, being rich in mercy, but God, when you... Come in submission, an act of faith, and declare to God that you need him to fight against idolatry. When you come to him and you say, I need deliverance, God's spirit, what it does, it, it reorients the heart. And the spirit tells us that we need a deliverance from our strongholds. In other words, God shows up when we trust in him. Look at verse 26 and 27. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. When we look at the text, it's amazing, because we see that the three, Daniel's friends, they have not been delivered from the fire. They are being delivered in the fire. The life of blessing is not by a way of costless, risk-free triumph, but only by the way of the cross. See, deliverance begins with faith and is now processed through fire. But where do we get that from Third point, the freedom from idolatry. Verse 25, he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So what's happening? As Daniel's friends are in the furnace, 
Instead of three, there is now four. The fourth looks like a son of the gods. The deliverance comes through the presence of an angel, which we see later in the text, meaning this. Deliverance always comes through not something, but someone. See, one of the major overarching themes of the Bible is God's promise to man. I will be your God. You will be my people. So throughout Scripture, we see this in the form of a covenant, right? God gives uh, Israel Moses. In this text, we see God give Daniel's friend an angel of the Lord. How does God show us this promise that he is with us today? Centuries later, after the account of Daniel, we will have someone far greater than him. And this him will also go through a fiery furnace. He would go into the deepest blazing furnace, the darkest abandonment. He would experience the ultimate loneliness. He would feel the most painful suffering. He would go through the most utmost despair. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the ultimate furnace, the cross, so he can free us from our eternal blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's only because of Christ and through Christ we get to defend, we get to fight, and we can have confidence against our idolatries. It's through Christ we can be reminded of the words of Isaiah 41, that when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And look at this. If Christ's weakness brought ultimate freedom for his people, then let our weakness be the freedom from our idolatry. As the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The freedom from our idolatry is knowing that you and I can come in weakness regarding those idols. In a world that says that you are to only overcome strongholds by your own personal strength, what the gospel does is the gospel reverses that and it says that, no, 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 no. You can only come in weakness from, for Christ, which is our strength in weakness. May Christ, may the gospel be the freedom of your idolatry. Christ gives us the freedom to come in weakness rather than being chained to the world's ideology that glory comes in our power. For it is the fiery, blazing furnace that reminds us of who we are, what we need, and how Christ delivers us from our brokenness.
final point, the redemption of our idolatry. Look at verse 28 and 29. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to God who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against them be cut into pieces, for no other god can save in this way. What do we see as we close out this chapter of the fiery furnace? Here we see is that it's the conviction and the character of Daniel's friends that brought King Nebuchadnezzar to praise the God of Israel. To the one that was against the God of Israel, he is now praising him because of the conviction, the character of Daniel's friends. It's because of the fiery furnace now we see King Nebuchadnezzar come to praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. What does that mean for us today? It means this. It means that God uses our stories of suffering and brokenness for God's glory because it's illustrating the beauty of the gospel. One thing I have come to love uh, about this church. I've been here at Metro Presbyterian for about a little over two years now. One thing I'm so thankful for is hearing stories. And I'm so glad to hear so many of these stories of suffering and brokenness coming into fruition, light, and redemption. I'm so thankful to hear that. I'm so thankful knowing that this church has broken people and we're not trying to front. I'm so glad that this church is uh, not a church that's trying to be a museum of the saints, but as the old saying goes, a hospital for sinners. I'm so glad that someone can come into this room and say that they're broken, they're busted, and they need some hope because they can't conquer their idolatry and sin issues. I'm so glad that when they come into this room, when they come to worship, there's a community that's centered on the gospel that can, that's willing to walk, to love, and support and counsel in brokenness. I'm so glad that when we aren't doing okay and we're not doing well, I'm so glad knowing that in those moments we have people that are willing to walk with them. Just as many of you guys have walked with me, I'm so glad. Will you be part of this redemption story? Because that's what we're called to do. Just as Daniel and his friends are sharing the power of the gospel working in their lives, we too are called to do the same. See, our stories of brokenness, because uh, the healing that we, that we can find in our idolatry, that God heals and redeems idolatry day by day, we too are meant to show this redeeming power of God to others. Church, will you get into this biblical notion of doing life with others and share the power of the gospel 
working or not working in you. It's because of the power of the gospel that you and I can come in weakness. We could admit that there are idols that grips the eyes of our hearts, but it's in this weakness that allows us to enter the fiery furnace with faith and hope, knowing that Christ is with us in the fiery furnace. We can be glad because Christ is walking with us in the suffering. He's with us in the moments, for Christ knows, for he experienced the utmost fiery furnace. Will you guys join me in prayer this morning?